Hi folks, welcome to the Tim Harvey Show here on SciFiForMe.com, SciFiForMeTV here on Twitch. You are, if you are watching this live on Twitch, you can be part of the conversation. There's a chat room. We would love to have you join in and give your opinions and feedback. If you're listening to this as a podcast, um, clearly you can do that through comments. And you can send that information, of course, to SciFiForMe.com. And uh, obviously, if you find us on iTunes or Podcast.com, we would love to have your feedback there as well. A um, couple of things I want to talk about tonight. First and foremost, um, I did want to say that thank you for the folks who responded to the uh, last week's podcast about uh, the, this summer's less than stellar movie theater box office numbers. Um, and I've heard from a couple other people outside. And the general consensus is, of course, it really was a summer of not very good movies. And I think that there's not a whole lot of argument about that, especially among fans. And that's, that's where it matters, is what the fans want. Uh, the huh, fandom, of course, is the subject of the first thing I want to talk about. And um, if, you have, if you're of a certain age, there was a website that pretty much was the big name in genre websites for a long time. That was Ain't It Cool News. Not so much these days. It's time pretty much had passed. Uh, all you have to do is look at their revenues. They fell off pretty sharply since the 90s. But for a long time, uh, Harry Knowles and Ada Cool News was very much the go-to place for information about movies and books and comics. And just it's still got quite a bit of information on there that is, is worthwhile. Um, Harry has been a divisive figure for a while for a number of reasons. This week he stepped down, actually I believe today, today or yesterday, he stepped down as the, uh, the head of Ain't It Cool News. He has currently been accused of some, has some sexual harassment accusations levied against him. Now, of course, he is innocent until proven guilty. Um, I cannot speak to the validity of these accusations. Uh, there are multiple accusations with apparently more coming. Um, and unfortunately, he's also connected to Fantastic Fest down in Austin, which is uh, created by the Alamo Draft House. And they're in the middle of their own sexual harassment scandal with a former employee of theirs who was fired uh, and then apparently was rehired back very quietly. And he, unfortunately, uh, his name showed up in the program for Fantastic Fest. A lot of people saw that. People are not going, people have resigned. There's been a whole lot of fallout from this sort of thing. And I guess I'm surprised I should ever have to say these words, but sexual assault is not okay. At what point do we have to get this through people's heads that it's not okay? Women are half of fandom. I th what, 52%? 52%. They're more than half of fandom, okay? And if you are a seller of product, uh, say, I don't know, running a convention, or a film festival, or a website. You have to understand something. They buy things from you. They're paying for subscriptions. They're paying for ticket prices. You are hurting, if you, maybe this is what we have to do. You're hurting your bottom line by being that kind of person. If that's what you are, it's a bad business choice. I shouldn't have to even go there. I, sh I mean, the bottom line is, is, is that if you're a thinking human being, you should know this by now. And unfortunately, it looks like we're, we still haven't learned this lesson. Um, it's not a new thing. Uh, it's blown up a lot in the last few years. 
you know, Gamergate and all of that nonsense. But the fact of the matter is, is abuse is not right. And, uh, I mean, this is a little soapbox, apparently, that we have to keep saying this is kind of insane to me, especially among fans. Now, I realize I am 47 years old, okay? I am old enough to remember when science fiction conventions were very much male-dominated things. But they aren't anymore. And you have to grow up with the world. Um, this is... It, it, it saddens me greatly that we have to keep having this conversation among fans. Um, if you can't understand that cosplay isn't consent, or any of the, you know, you, if, and unfortunately a lot of times it's people who are, think they are in a position of power and they abuse it. We just have to figure out a way to get past this. And I don't know there's an answer. I don't have an answer, obviously. If I did, I'd be everybody's hero, I guess. But the thing is, is that it is really sad that we have to deal with this again, and it's especially sad. <clears throat> However much Ain't It Cool News is no longer, hasn't been for a while, the biggest name in genre uh, news, or, or as an aggregator of news it's often been, um, it's still got a legacy. It was still there for fandom for a long, long time as being a great resource. Um, however you feel about Harry Knowles, um, this is unfortunately a really unfortunate, sad kind of day to find ourselves in this position uh, with anybody who had as much influence on fandom and, and its impact on the media and its growth in media, uh, to look at this sort of thing and say, you know, why do we have to have this be happening again? So, soapbox over. Um, you know, again, I shouldn't have to say this sort of thing. And if you're angry about this, if I've managed to upset you, send your stuff to me, don't pick on the website, sci-fi-for-me.com, is a fantastic staff of people, many of them women. And, uh, but if you're upset with me, you know, to take it out on me, I'm, I'm old enough and big enough to take it. All right. Rant over for now, anyway. So, um, uh, on Sunday, there was a sort of a thing that happened that a lot of people were very concerned about, and that was the debut of Star Trek Discovery. And very troubled production, Brian Fuller being... Uh, a big part of the development of the show, and of course he left the show under uh, the standard creative differences description, which a lot of people read a lot of things into. Um, it's had a lot of really poor marketing on CBS's side. They have just, all the things they should have done they didn't do, and all the things they shouldn't have done they did. It really was a very poor marketing rollout. And yet, uh, overall, reviews of the show have come in being pretty good. Uh, it's averaging about, what, 7 point something out of 10 for most uh, uh, rating systems. Uh, it's 80% uh, approval rating out of the, the biggest 46 reviews coming out immediately afterwards. Um, and I'll be perfectly honest, I enjoyed it more than I thought that I would. It has some problems. Do not misunderstand. This is not going to be a ringing endorsement entirely. But there was a lot of the show that I actually did like. Now, let's talk about the things that were the many of the biggest sticking points for fans right off the bat. And I'm going to take a drink of coffee here for this little pause slurpy noise. So, the design of the show was very, very divisive. And a lot of that comes out of the fact that CBS insisted that this was set 10 years before the original series uh, 
in the timeline of the original series. And yet the production design looks a lot like the timeline from the Kelvin series. Now there's a really big problem we run into any time you try and do a prequel. And if you set it in an existing universe, um, you are constrained to some degree by the visual aesthetic of the original universe. And this is actually a problem for Star Trek. Because when the show was made in the 1960s, on a 1960s television budget, the show looked a certain way. And when the, you, you may recall when they remastered the shows for DVD and Blu-ray, they had to go back in and rebuild a lot of things because the, um, the effects <laughs> just simply didn't hold up. And there's... The problem with placing anything before the original series visually is that we're past a lot of that technology now. This cell phone I am holding in my hands is a much more efficient communicator than the Star Trek communicator. The iPad that you might have at home is the tablets that they're using, they used on Star Trek. Star Trek influenced the design of the iPad. I mean, this, these are things that, uh, you know, cell phones, the way we have the cell, the flip phone was clearly, uh, you know, inspired by the Star Trek communicator. Unfortunately, we are past the visual look of the technology. So you run into a real problem, that is, if you are a fan of the original series, you want the shows to look like they belong together. And yet, the technology moves beyond that, and so if you're making a television show, it's actually really, really hard to convince somebody, and I'm a production designer, it, is, it would be very, very hard to try and make a show that looked like future tech, and yet looked not as developed as Star Trek the original series. Uh, Enterprise sort of just hand-waved it away entirely. Uh, Deep Space Nine did a flashback episode, or actually a time travel episode, where they went back and, and were in trouble with Tribbles, which was great. But it was, a, that was something for the fans, but if you look at it from a purely visual standpoint, it was a bit of a contradiction in terms of technology levels that even with the, the time difference between the two series. Um, so I have not been concerned about the look of the show. Um, in that sense. I was not expecting the show, them to look like the, te uh, the, the Starfleet vessels or the Klingon vessels from the original series. I just wasn't, because they're not going to. Um, I don't like the costumes for the Federation. I don't like the Federation uniforms, but uh, I didn't like Enterprise's uniforms either. I didn't like, I didn't like the first season Next Generation uniforms. Um, there's a, you know, let's face it, Star Trek uniforms have often been less than cool looking. But some of them have been amazing looking, and so I have a little bit of hope that they'll figure it out and move closer to what is going to be at least something resembling the original series uniforms. The, so if you, once you get past the design aesthetic and you look at the fact that, you know, if you, if you, you gotta let that go. I mean, that's one thing you just have to do with this show. If you let go of that and just accept, you know, it's a Star, Starfleet vessel. All right, cool, there you go. And it's a Klingon vessel. It's a different kind of Klingon vessel. Okay, we get it, we, the, and we find out why. Um, and then there's the Klingons themselves, and the new look of the Klingons themselves. Or rather, in this particular case, the old look of the Klingons. And one of the things these guys did is they defied the Planet of Hats trope. Now, if you're not familiar with the Planet of Hats trope, it's something that shows up in genre fiction a lot. Uh, and it's actually a... 
when you've got an hour or actually 40, 40 some minutes of story to tell in a, in a television show's hour, you know, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, Farscape, whatever it is, the tendency is, is to go to a planet where everybody is the same. Hi there, this is an agrarian planet. We just grow things. Hi there, this is a technology planet. We just, you know, build things. It's Star, Star Wars movies do it all the time. Um, actually, one of the biggest, earliest, I'm not going to say offenders, because it's actually an, it's an effective trope a lot of times if you're trying to get a point across. Dune was m very much the case. You know, Arrakis is the world, is all desert world, spice, uh, Giddy Prime is, you know, the industrial world, Ix was the technology world, that sort of thing, you know, the cybernetics world. These are things that, um, from a storytelling standpoint, are useful. But from a world building, a universe building standpoint, are problematic. Do, these are the things you cannot stare directly at, or you will start to ask questions that, the, the, you know, most of these shows don't want you to, want you to answer. So to have Klingons that look completely different, or actually not completely different, similar to the basic idea of the Klingons, but different, is actually okay. Humans look different, depending on where you were born, depending on where you grew up, depending on what your environment is, depending on what century you were born in. People look different, and that's just us. That's one species. Klingons in the original series and in the movies had less variation than the Starship Enterprise did in terms of its ethnic groups. So the idea that you have a bunch of Klingons that look different doesn't bother me. That they dress different doesn't bother me. Klingons were not a homogenous species. And more importantly, what comes out of this, um, showing this different aspect of, of Klingon culture, a much more religious aspect of Klingon culture, uh, that actually harkens a lot more back to a fantastic novel that influenced Brian Fuller immensely when he was coming up with this show. And that was John M. Ford's... John F. Ford? John M. Ford. John M. Ford, thank you. John M. Ford's uh, Final Reflection, which was the first Star Trek novel to really attempt to dive into Klingon culture. And it's actually a genius work. It's one of the finest uh, Star Trek novels ever published. That's my opinion, and I'm going to stand by it no matter what. Um, and unfortunately, when they dived into Klingon culture in the actual officially sanctioned TV shows and movies, they promptly ignored everything about it. Which is a terrible, terrible shame, because it was a very rich culture that he developed. And the influence of that is clear in the Klingon culture that we see here not least of which is the concept of the Klingon afterlife. And when you consider how much this particular group of Klingons focus on the uh, avatar, become, being the avatar of Kalas, the great Klingon you know, warrior who everyone reveres, to the fact that the, the villain of the show has strapped the dead, generations of the dead of his family and his clan, to the outside of the ship. They're not burying their dead. He's basically, you know, wreathing this ancient ship that he inherited. Um, and so when you saw, we saw those images in the preview of something that looked kind of like a Klingon ship, but it looked very organic. Well, it kind of is. It's got a lot of dead people strapped to it. Um, the concept of the Black Fleet features very prominently 
in their discussions about death. And the Black Fleet was created by Ford in The Final Reflection. And if you can find a copy of the book, I highly recommend reading it. It's a really, really fantastic take on the Klingon Empire and the, way, and the culture behind it. And so one of the things I really do like about this show, with the, well, with the differences we've seen in the Klingons, is the fact that they're giving us a different side of Klingon history. They're giving us a different side of Klingon culture. They can still screw it up. They still have plenty of opportunities. Brian Fuller's not with the show anymore. This is one of the things that people have been concerned about. But if you look at it as taking the hat off the planet of hats um, and basically expanding the concept of, of what the Klingon Empire is and what the Klingon culture is, there's a lot of opportunity here. There's some really cool stories that could be told. Whether or not they do that, we'll have to wait and see. Interestingly enough, we also saw holograms of some of the other Klingon houses. Not all of them, because of course there's 24 Klingon houses, and we only saw a few. And their clothes vary widely as well. So there's a lot of variation in culture that's being shown here, which is really, really kind of cool. Now, interestingly enough, because the dealing with religion in the way that they, they are in the Klingon uh, culture there, and the idea of how they view the Federation, this particular sect views the Federation, and they're, we come in peace, and that's basically, these people, these Klingons view it as the Federation wants to take away what makes the Klingon special and take away their pureness of their culture. And this is something that we've seen historically, and unfortunately we see historically, uh, we see now, but this is a historical thing that has happened when cultures collide, is that there's, a, there's an argument that is made that they are going to absorb us or that we're going to be, you know, we're going to be buried underneath, you know, their culture is going to overwhelm us. And that happens, and that has happened historically. So the idea that there would be a portion of the Klingon Empire, part of the culture, that would look at the Federation and say, you're so powerful, you're, if we don't fight back, you're going to run us over. You're going to eat us up. And we won't, none of what makes us us is going to be left when you're done. Unfortunately, that's a large chunk of the, the conflict in the Middle East, and has been for a very long time. And so there's a lot of analogies here that you can draw, and people have drawn, a lot of reviewers have drawn, a lot of culture critics have drawn, over what the Klingons are meant to symbolize here with this. And there's a lot of different ways to read into it. Now, of course, the Klingons were very much supposed to be the Soviet Empire uh, in the Soviet Union back in the, in the TV show, but so much of the TV show was broad strokes allegory. So reading too much into, I think, you can do whatever you like, obviously, but I am not going to waste my time reading in culture things into this show right now. I am more concerned with seeing where it goes and seeing what... I think there's a lot of promise here. It either fulfills that promise or it squanders it or it ends up being a, eh, that was all right. And unfortunately, Star Trek doesn't always have a great track record with this. I'm... I am going to say that basically this is one of the better premier two-part opening episodes of the Star Trek spinoffs from the original series. Um, I am not a fan of Encounter at Farpoint. I'm not a fan of much of the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation. I think the show didn't really know what it was doing. They were using a lot of uh, old scripts that had been adapted to characters they really didn't know who they were yet. And I think the show suffered a lot from that. Second season on market improvement in quality in terms of the storytelling, in terms of what the actors being comfortable in the roles, between 
having costumes that look like uniforms as opposed to pajamas. Um, this was a big deal when, it, when Star Trek Encounter at Farpoint came out. We were hungering for new Star Trek. I think we recognized there were flaws, but we overlooked them. Um, Discovery doesn't ha quite have that position right now. We've had three of the, of the new franchise movies. Um, we've had, you know, there's a ton of books out. Uh, just, and if you want to ever read a bunch of great Star Trek novels, there's a bunch of great Star Trek novels out. Uh, but it is a much stronger premiere than Encounter at Farpoint. It's a much stronger premiere than the first episode of Enterprise or the first episode of Voyager. And I'd say a good chunk of... It, it's a much stronger two episodes than a good chunk of Voyager entirely, unfortunately. Um, I'm going to say it probably is not as good as the opening episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Now, remember, for all the interesting questions we people in blowback of this show have seen... Star Trek Deep Space Nine caught a lot of that as well. And, what? It's set in a space station? Star Trek's about ex discovery and, and ex exploration and getting out in the universe and seeing things and, you know, not people sitting and, you know, guarding a planet in a wormhole. What, what's this? And yet it ended up being this very, very powerful, very rich show in terms of characterization and, and a look at what made the Federation strong and also some of the weaknesses. And this was actually really interesting television. Uh, leave us, you know, pull out, pull out the genre aspects. It was still good storytelling. Uh, so this has the potential to do that. Now, um, there are some problems here. And so don't, uh, again, don't, don't think I'm completely sold on this entirely yet. First of all, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, okay, so... What's his name? Um, Barry being Barry uh, posted, it's not why, it's why I don't like the idea of prequels. I hate it when things look more advanced than the things that take place afterwards. Exactly. That's a trap that people are putting. This show would have been so much, and I, so far, I'm not seeing anything that I would need to massively change. Aside from it couldn't be Sarek. It could be another Vulcan that we knew. It could be Tuvok. I don't know, you could make it after the show or something. I mean, establish something. Um, but making it a prequel has kind of boxed them in, in a way, that I think is unfortunate. Now, they may do some interesting things with it, but, again, it's problematic. Now, <sighs> so, Michael, um, played by uh, Sonequa Martin-Green, is an interesting character to me. And I'll get into that in a minute. But, this is a, basically her parents, basically she's got Batman's origins. Her par parents were killed, and she was raised by uh, an, Al an Alfred, and now she's gone out to fight crime in the universe as a Starfleet officer. I'm serious, this is the Batman origin. And that's okay, this <laughs> Batman's origin is not that original. Uh, and it's been used a lot since then. But, um, there's some things here we need to, def things need to get defined. Because she is the ward of Sarek. Now, what a Vulcan ward is, is not been defined. And if she turns out to be the long-lost sister, half-sister of Spock, a lot of fans are going to be upset about that. We already dealt through the long-lost half-brother of Spock. And we try to pretend that Star Trek V was fan fiction. But uh, we don't need another one. But a young human basically rescued by Vulcans and raised by Vulcans and struggling with the idea of being an emotional person who's dealing with a, with a, a logic framework 
Okay, fine, that's great. No, I have no problem with that. It's Savic. It is Savic. And like we haven't, yeah, we, it's, it's, well, it's Savic and it's Spock and it's Data. And so this is the character, we're actually getting this character as the POV character. So that's actually something that's kind of interesting for me. I don't have a problem with that. I do want more clarification of what her relationship is with Sarek. Because there's, there's bumping up against canon and saying, this, there's wiggle room here, and there's bumping up against canon and going, yeah, we're just going to break right through this. So we've got to figure that part out. But what's interesting to me about her character, uh, about Martin Green's character, Michael, is that she's essentially the bad guy. She is akin, not exactly, obviously, to a surprisingly large number of Star Trek characters who kind of snap and go nuts. Um, because she does. She reacts in fear and commits what is essentially treason. What is, you know, she commits mutiny. But she does it to try and save someone. And there's, so she's got an internal logic, which all of these people do. And if you're wondering who I'm talking about, well, let's see. Um, let's go with uh, Commodore Decker from the Doomsday Machine, who saw his entire crew killed and will do anything to destroy the Doomsday Machine, including destroy the Enterprise, to bring that thing down. He was a great captain and a great Commodore, and he was broken by watching his crew die. So he did an irrational thing based of fear and anger, which is on a much smaller level, but it's the same thing. That's what Michael does. Uh, uh, Commodore Stalker, Captain Garth, Captain Maxwell, Captain Tracy. We go down the list. Starfleet's got a really bad track record with its commanding officers going crazy, in case you haven't noticed. You can hunt this stuff down. It, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they are... There are so many characters who made decisions, and in their own minds, they were logical. They made sense. There was a reason for it. Um, if you look, for those of you, however, however you feel about the rest of Star Trek Into Darkness, and there are some real problems with that movie, um, as Mr. Hunt coughs off camera, um, but what was, you know, Basically, to have a, you know, an admiral sit there and go, the war is coming, and I have got to save the Federation. It's the same thing. We've seen this since the early days of Star Trek. We've seen it in a lot of other mediums as well, all other kind of storytellings. Is the person who looks at what is in front of them and says, I have to act. And often, they are wrong. But... You can argue, and sometimes you've got to stretch the argument a lot, with the logic, but you can argue that they are well-intentioned extremists, right? They thought they were doing well, and that's exactly what she does. Now, we don't see what happens to any of these characters. Well, some of them die. Some of them die poorly. Some of them die dramatically. Some of them end up getting thrown in the brig or a mental institution or whatever. We never saw what happened to any of these characters afterwards. Were they rehabilitated? Did they get another chance? Did they die heroically? In another, in another story where, where you know, the Federation needed to have a captain, so they took this you know, disgraced one out and put him on a ship and said, go fight. We don't get any of these stories. Um, I think actually some of them are carried on in, in the novels, but I'd have to uh, uh, do a little digging into that. I think a couple of them have popped up later. 
But we, we're going to get to see what happens with that. We're going to get to see what happens when you make those decisions. And in this case, essentially, Michael started a war. She didn't set out to. In fact, her chain of events in her head, her logic chain, actually makes sense given what she knew about the Klingons. She was wrong because the people who were the Klingons she was facing um, weren't what she was expecting. Culturally, they were different than what she'd encountered before, which, again, makes perfect sense. Culturally, um, you know, if you go to a Scottish bar, go to, the bar, go to the bar of my people, and you pick a fight, you might have a different reaction than, say, if you go to a Buddhist bar. Are there Buddhist bars? Do Buddhists have bars? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But anyway, the reality, again, like I said, you know, culturally here on, in, in, on Earth, you know, we see so much variation. The idea that the Klingons wouldn't have it, that kind of variation is fairly ridiculous. So, there's a lot of promise here. Where the promise falls apart, and what's going to get in the way for a lot of folks who enjoyed the first episode, or thought the first, maybe they didn't enjoy it, but they were in, thought it was interesting. Maybe they thought it was worth seeing what they continued to do. Maybe they liked the show just fine. But unless you got CBS All Access, you're going to have a hard time watching the show. All right, so the argument about paywalls and programming is interesting because certainly you could argue that Netflix has been a very successful model. And following the Netflix model is not a bad idea. The problem is, is that, of course, you know, we're all buying these little models now. We're, we, you know, how many people have Netflix accounts? How many people have Hulu? How many people have, you know, pick the various and sundry things you can... You can spend a few bucks here and there to get access to these entertainment blocks, but you're getting more. If you just want to watch Star Trek and you don't care about what else is on CBS All Access, are you going to pay for that? Are you going to pay for that so you can watch a TV show every week? Are you going to wait when it comes out on, on DVD and Blu-ray and digital download? Or are you going to get your content another way? Because CBS All Access is not the only place the show is being broadcast. In other markets, it's being broadcast in different avenues. There's, it's really, I think it's a really bad idea. I could be, it may turn out to be great for them. I don't know. But I don't think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a real problem getting the show, the kind of audience that it's going to want um, for a, uh, well, hi there. Bad, bad dad. <laughs> um, you know, but getting the uh, uh, getting the audience in at once is going to be really kind of hard in this way. Now, you flash your mind back, of course, to uh, Voyager and uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. This stuff was showing up on platforms that were outside the normal avenue, right? Uh, but it was a different time then. The idea of the of a of a network like UPN having a flagship show. Um, these things were things that weren't happening uh, uh, elsewhere. This was the kind of stuff that was new. It was groundbreaking. It was a they UPN never quite turned out to be what Paramount wanted it to be. Uh, they were actually hoping to have a network that challenged, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, um, and it didn't quite work out that way. So, you know, it's I don't know. It's a different time. I think it's really unfortunate. This show has potential. It's got some real 
issues. Um, and I think there's, they, they need to be dealt with. But I also think there's, there's some real possibilities here. Um, I did really actually appreciate the fact and, uh, that they gave us two episodes to know a crew and then promptly said, eh, they're all going to die. Uh, Michelle Yeoh, uh, I actually liked her captain quite a bit. I thought she did a very fine job, and I actually would love to see some of the previous series episodes of her crew. Um, I'm not so sure about Doug Jones' uh, character. I'm afraid I can't remember the name of the character off the top of my head. Saru. Saru, thank you. Um, I, the argument that uh, he uses to explain why his species uh, evolved to detect death, um, I'm not entirely sure that made a lot of sense to me. Actually, no, it didn't make any sense to me at all. Um, especially considering how he described what their species was, that they were a prey species. Um, that's not how prey species look at things uh, from the evidence. But anyway, more, I'm sure there'll be more to, to get into that character later. But yeah, I, mean, I'm, I think there's some promise here. I think there's something here worth continuing to watch and see. Now, this episode was written, uh, the this, uh, this screenplay was written by Brian Fuller, and how much of that actually made it to... Uh, the screen is a good question. But there's also um, real questions, of course, how much the influence of Brian Fuller extended into this, considering when he left in, in production. So it could all go off the rails. It could be very, very interesting. The fact of the matter is, is that it's the first new Star Trek we've had on television in a while. And I'm much happier with this uh, and its potential than I was with the J.J. Abrams Star Trek films, which I felt... It took to the third movie for them to even get the chemistry between the crew right. Um, and, and I thought they did by the third film, but at that point, you know, fans who had a potential to really get on board were not going to give. <laughs> they gave up. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. But anyway, um, yeah, I think there was a lot of promise there. We'll see what happens. Thank you folks so much for tuning in today. Uh, if you're watching here, here again live on Twitch, we appreciate it. Uh, and um, uh, if you're listening to us on the podcast side, again, if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Uh, obviously, you can find us all on social media. We are all over the social media. Obviously, we're here on Twitch, Facebook, Twitter, all the various and sundry places you can social the media. And uh, uh, we hope you will tune again next week. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2017 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio.